Well, my friends, I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn with me to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Hmm. Today we're going to deal with a very difficult text. Not because it's hard to understand, but many, 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 many people have looked at this text and tried to make it say what it does not say. But we will make it clear here, my friends, because you are good students of the word of God, you will look and pay attention hard to grasp this, grasping perhaps what is the ungraspable. Most of you are old enough to remember the Ed Sullivan show. I know, not you. (laughs) Maybe the guy next to you either. Yeah, and likely you remember a guy named Flip Wilson. Remember that guy? Funny, funny man. I was but a wee child, but I still appreciated his humor. Wilson was best known for his, uh, his line, the devil made me do it. You remember that? Yeah, little smiles throughout the auditorium here. You remember that, yeah. Not only made people laugh, but when he said it, he... He also taught America how to excuse their own sin. Yeah. We take ownership for that stuff, don't we? Because we sin willfully of our own volition. We do. (laughs) What we're going to look at here today, my friends, is big. It's big. As a matter of fact, uh, likely uh, Isaiah prophesying may have been thinking about this passage ahead of time. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is about the Lord. And these are things we need to understand. God isn't our buddy. He's the creator of the universe, the sovereign majesty of all that is. And his his thoughts are not our thoughts, neither are our, our ways his way. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Difficult stuff coming here, my friends. We are entering a section of Romans that covers chapter 9 through 11. We will not be covering 9 through 11 this morning. But having talked about what we are about to look at, this is what Paul concludes this teaching with. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. My friends, we begin to enter a section about the nation of Israel. Perhaps uh, if you grew grew up in uh, Sunday school, you learned all of these Old Testament stories, the accounts of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and his snottiness and and the stories about uh, the judges and the kings and the wondrous David and Goliath. 
and their downfalls, my friends. Hmm. And you may have wondered, whatever happened to those guys? Whatever happened to the big nation of Israel and God in their midst? Whatever happened to them? That is a question that is asked. And in asking this, Paul is going to answer this and pull back the, pull back the curtains. And so it begins here in verse 1, as every chapter in the Bible does, talking about Israel's condition, particularly Paul's love for Israel. Look at this in verse 1, where Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And so here we have this picture of Paul looking at, Paul being a Jew, looking at this nation of Israel and saying, well one to them, they are lost, they have rejected the Messiah. I know that I, I could do something to change that. He says something that's hard to swallow here. Oh, I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my countrymen. Now, I'll tell you what, my friends, I'm not certain there's a greater statement of love than that. Paul willing to lay it all out for his countrymen. That is a commitment to evangelism right there. Yeah. And the thing is, with, uh, with Israel, the clock was running for Israel. A little time was left. In a few years, less than 10, as a matter of fact, Rome was to be destroyed. Or Rome, I'm sorry, was to destroy the city of Jerusalem and the very nation that had said, His blood be on us and our children as they crucified the Lord. They had rejected the Messiah. They had rejected the Christ. They had rejected God. Hmm. Well, the Lord was about to, be, to judge Israel, and they had failed. They had failed under the old covenant, and they had rejected the new covenant. All of the promises God had made concerning Israel seemed key word there, to be in vain. What about all these covenants? What about the Abrahamic covenant? What happened? God changed his mind? God doesn't change his mind, my friends. How could Israel's present state be explained? And Paul sets out to explain just that in these, these three chapters, 9 to 11. We're not covering them all today. Buckle up, friends. <laughs> so Paul talks about his love for Israel, but notice in verses 4 and 5, he talks about Israel's privileges, the blessings that they had available to them, and yet they walked away. They are Israelites, verse 4, and to them belonged the adoption. I mean, God chose them, not because they were great or mighty, but because God is a God of grace. 
and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the worship and the promises. I mean, think of it. To them belong the patriots, patriots, patriarchs. <laughs> and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. Think of it. The great advantages that the nation of Israel had. And what did they do with it? Terrifying. So who's to blame? Who's to blame for this? Is it God? Did God fail to keep his covenant? Did God fail in some way? As a matter of fact, that's a question that Paul asks and then answers. Look at verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. You see, when it comes to Israel's faith, who's to blame? Salvation, my friends, note this very carefully, is not based on your natural descent. Just because they were of the seed of Abraham does not mean that they would be saved. Not all Israel is Israel. Logically, that doesn't make any sense, but it does biblically. Just because they were born in the family doesn't mean they would be born again in the family. Now, Paul illustrates this in the choosing of Isaac. See verse 7, And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. They're not all children of Abraham, even if they're the offspring of Abraham. And we know this from Isaac and Ishmael. And he quotes the Old Testament here. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means, verse 8, that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise. God had told Abraham that Sarah would have a child from her own body. Abraham as well. You remember, he was like 90, she's 80, and, you know, they're like, well, that nation thing that God promised is going to be awfully small since we can't have any kids. And God caused them to wait. Isn't it wonderful that waiting reveals so much about ourselves? Waiting. But ultimately, God fulfilled that, didn't he? Much to the surprise of Abraham and Sarah. For this is what he promised and said, About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. Now you may recall in their waiting, Sarah and Abraham came up with a plan of their own. Sarah said, Well, I've got this servant. And you know what the, all the neighbors are doing? You know, all the, everyone is doing this these days. That If you can't have kids, then take one of your servants and sleep with them. And the child from that, it belongs to your wife. See how simple that is? Except that's not what God said. One of the great examples in the scriptures of why it's most important to wait on the Lord and not just act on your own. Look at all of the trouble, all of the nations that came from this guy who became enemies of the nation of Israel. And so, my friends, it's illustrated here. God said, yeah, okay, so Ishmael, sure, he was born of Abraham. 
But I didn't choose him. I chose Isaac. It's not about uh, national descent, my friends. Natural descent, it's not. As a matter of fact, uh, not only is it not of natural descent, it is not based on your work. It's not based on what you do. God doesn't look into the future and say, you know, they look like a hard worker. Going to choose that one. It's not how it works. Verse 10, not only so, but when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Now there's that word election. God chooses those whom he will for salvation, for his glory, and for his purpose. And so before these two twins were even born, God chose one. Before they had done anything, good or evil, God chose Jacob. God chose Jacob. As a matter of fact, notice as we continue here, hmm, she was told the older will serve the younger. Oh, that's not the way we do it here in our culture. <laughs> but God's ways are not our ways, are they? And then to make it even more difficult, verse 13 reads this. This is not a verse you're going to find on anyone's refrigerator, I'll tell you. Nobody's putting this on magnets. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. This is the word of God about two men. Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. I'm like, what in the world does that mean? God hated this guy? He hadn't even done anything yet. Well, perhaps we can get a bit of understanding what we mean by that in the teaching of our Lord. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37... Jesus says, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And, and so there is this priority of love. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's how Matthew recorded what Jesus said. But look at what Luke says in Luke chapter 14, 26. Now, the teaching I just read to you seems pretty clear, right? Love the Lord more than. Look at what Luke says. Verse, chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and neighbors and people they pass on the highway, and the list doesn't go on that far, but yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, we already understand what this principle is. The priority of God in our life, even over those whom we love. And so the issue here is one of priority. The priority is going to be in Jacob. Now, why? What's the deal with Jacob? Because God determined that it would be through Jacob that his nation would be born. 
God changed the name of Jacob as well. You remember what he changed it to? Israel. The nations coming through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The line, the covenant of God in creating a nation that he would bless. And ultimately through that nation, all the families of the world would be blessed. And so clearly, God's hand in building this nation is very evident. He chose Abraham. Out of all of the people in the world, why him? Because God is a God of grace. And God is a God of mercy. Grace means he gives us that which we do not deserve. Mercy, he withholds from us that which we do. One of the things we know about Abraham is that at one time he was an idolater. He worshipped idols. God stepped into his life and transformed it. Sound familiar? Is that your story? I know it's mine. He did the very same thing in my life. Changed it. Well, my friends, the Lord chose the nation of Israel, but not every person in the nation of Israel. Is that pretty clear? Just because you're an Israelite doesn't mean you will come to faith in Christ. And I think that is borne out through history. Which begs the question then, how can God punish someone when God didn't even choose them? I mean, is that fair? Is God fair? The answer is no. God is not fair. Because if God is fair, every one of us goes to hell. And we suffer there for all eternity. That's fair. Fair means you get what you deserve. You work for it, you get it. Not a single person here has an excuse for this sin because we, again, as I said earlier, we did it of our own volition, our own will. We chose to do what we wanted. Didn't consider the cost to ourselves or to anyone else. We took it, didn't belong to us. We said it, though we know it would hurt someone else. The long list of our sins is great. Do we want a fair God? No, we want a God who is just, but a God who is grace and a God who is merciful. So take a look with me, friends, here as we get to verse 14. Now what we have seen here is Israel's condition is one of lost. Somehow they have walked away from the Lord. All of his blessings. And there they are scattered. But know this, my friends. God is sovereign and he chooses those whom he will save. God chooses. every. This is the issue I'm talking about. Nobody likes to think about this. And you know why? is because when you came to faith in Christ, it felt like you were making all the decisions, right? I mean, that's, that's what the whole feeling is. You know, I came to myself and I realized what a fool I've been, so I decided that I would, well, what were all those circumstances that drove you to the Lord? You think he had anything to do with that? He did, my friends. Maybe it was failure. Maybe it was significant hurt. 
Maybe it was a health situation. But God, we know. This is what we know. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. The Bible teaches that God chooses people before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 2. Before the foundation of the world, God chose those who would come to faith in Christ. And you see here in verse 14 and through 18, the choice always belongs to God. And why wouldn't it? God is God. We can't even comprehend what that means. How there is nothing that God does not know. Every thought and intent of our heart everything nothing is hidden from him nothing is too hard for him nothing we have no concept of how great our God is and yet in his grace he chose to save some how wonderful is that all deserving of hell that's the gospel isn't it all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many? All of them. Every last one. Even that cute little kid in the second row? Absolutely. Every single one of us. And the wages of sin is death. What is it that we have earned by our sin? Eternal separation from God. And that, my friend, is hell. God is a just God. He will punish sin. A price must be paid. But God is also a God of grace. And so he sent his son to die in your place. To die for your sins. To take your sin upon him. To suffer and die. To pay the penalty for your sin. And then he rose from the dead, and he reigns today, and he will reign on this earth one day, and we will see him face to face if we put our trust in him. Yeah. So here's the question, verse 18. So then, he has mercy on whoever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. But you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will how can God judge a sinner who didn't come to faith in Christ when he could have brought him he could have because God is sovereign verse 18 he is righteous he will always judge sin and he proved that in Calvary when Christ died for our sin on the cross He's righteous, verse 18. And you know what else? Man is responsible. You and I are responsible for our sin. None of this, the devil made me do it. Every sin was a choice. But you will say, why then does he find fault? Who can resist his will? (laughs) Somehow we have managed to do that, haven't we? choosing our own way, living out our sin nature. 
And here in verses uh, 20 through 21, as fallen creatures who have of our own volition rejected him, who are we to question God? Who are we to sit back and say, well, you know what you should have done, Lord, is you never would have thought of the cross, would you? No, because we're selfish. Yeah. Send my son, my only son, to Calvary to be spat upon for them? Yeah. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Yeah. So here it is in verse 20. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable? Well, the answer to all of these things is yes. Now, this, of course, makes us think of Jeremiah chapter 18, where God sent Jeremiah down to the potter's house. Take a look, look and learn. Here is the potter with this great big lump of clay molding it with a bowl of water. And here it is, this lovely shape being formed. And oh, look at that. It broke. It folded in and it will never really be the same. And he takes this lump and starts over. Well, does he not have a right to do that? Does he not? Does he not get a, the, the, the right to choose what it is the potter would like to make? You and I say, well, yes, of course. It's his clay. So is not God sovereign? Does he not have the sovereign choice to make what he will do with those whom he created? Yes, the answer is yes, my friends. Yes. But in the end, my friends, he does all things for his glory. You want to know what motivates God? To reveal to you, people like me and you, who this God is. To reveal his glory, that he is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. I forgot the rest of it. That never happens, but here we are nonetheless. <laughs> God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable as being. I can't remember it. Bill, you remember? What is it? Holding justice, goodness, and truth. Yes, thank you, brother. Come on, give him a hand. He studied hard to know that stuff. Thanks, brother. God is awesome. Our God, we write songs and we write books and we write all of these things to comprehend who God is. We look up into the stars and we think of how vast he is. Is God just to do such a thing? Absolutely. But in the end, he does all things for his glory. Verse 22, enduring vessels prepared for wrath. What if God, desiring to show his wrath, and to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath 
prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Look at verse 24. Saving Gentiles as well as Jews. The Jews look down their noses at the Gentiles. Oh, these people are trash. We're the people God chose. Well, wait a minute. That's not what the Lord said. <laughs> Verse 24, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea. Verse 25, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called the sons of the living God. And while God may save some Jews, he will not save all of them. Same is true about Gentiles. And Isaiah cries out here, verse 27, concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, verse 29, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. You see, he's answering the question, what happened to Israel? You know, how come there's not this great big, because God saved some, but not all. Some, not all. And why? For his glory. So the grand conclusion here, my friends, in verse 30 to 33 is this, Gentiles found righteousness through faith. Why is the church filled with Gentiles? Where are all the Israelites? Well, the Gentiles found righteousness through faith. Look at verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. The very theme of this whole letter, justification by faith, declared righteous by God when you put your trust in him. We don't hear it, my friends, but it's the truth. The issue is faith. Israel, on the other hand, pursued righteousness through works. And friends, if we can make anything clear here this morning, it is this. You're not saved by what you do or what you don't do or where you've been or where you never go. You are saved by faith, by the grace of God. You see, Israel pursued righteousness through works. Look at this, verse 31. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness... Hear what I'm saying here. The law would lead to righteousness if only under these circumstances, my friends. They did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by, there's that word again, faith. 
We live by faith. We love by faith. We learn in faith. And we grow in our faith. But as if it were based on works. And so Paul says they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. They just couldn't grasp the faith issue. You and I, we read through the Old Testament and we see faith upon faith upon faith. But they missed it. We have a law. One of the reasons they crucified our Christ. Their Christ, the God who sent them his son. We have a law. That's all we need. And they missed it. As it is written, verse 33, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. But whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So here is the truth, my friends. Try and explain it away. You may lose your soul. But my friends, the truth is clear. The truth is clear. Can you put that up, Mel? Boom. One more. There it is. God sovereignly. God sovereignly chooses those whom he wills for his own glory. God chooses. His choice is based on his grace. And it is for his glory. How ought we to respond to that? It ought not to be with arguing with the word of God. You're not going to win that argument, friends. What we ought to do is respond in this way. First and foremost, give thanks to God. God shows you here this morning. If you are trusting in Christ, if you are pursuing his will daily, honoring him in your thoughts, in your, be grateful. Be grateful. Gratitude is a response that we ought not to miss. Give thanks to God who willed that a place of honor and usefulness in his kingdom is yours. There are people that walk through this life without purpose, one place to the next, and they have no hope. You don't know if God chose them or not, so tell them about Jesus. Number two, beware of resisting God's spirit, as the nation of Israel did. Beware of the danger of a hardening process, a hardening process. Like Pharaoh, you may recall, the nation of Israel had been slaves for 430 years in Egypt, and God raised up Moses and said, go and tell. Go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. You know what that was? That was an act of grace. God could have done all of these things without any announcements. What this was, was a personal invitation to know the Lord. And so God did these ten plagues, one at a time. Not all at once, you know why? It's an act of grace. Let my people go. Well, now you know. You know what Pharaoh's response to that was? Who is the Lord that I should listen to him? Well, let's get you an education on that. 
Beware of the hardening, my friends. You see, we can harden ourselves to the truth. We hear it, we're puzzled by it, we're upset by it, and we begin to harden our heart to God's word, God's spirit poking at us, maybe even this morning. Another response to this truth might be self-examination. Are we earnestly and prayerfully living by faith and obedience to God? Take a look in the mirror, my friends, the mirror of the word of God, and say, does this fit the life that I'm living? Where am I? And finally, how about we do some praying? Let us petition ever Petitions ever to be offered that God will be, God's will will be done in our life and our will will conform to his. That we will want to do the will of God. We can put it shortly and succinctly. It ought to be in your prayers every day. God, help me to long to do your will. Help me to crave it. Not to do it begrudgingly, forcefully, or I guess I'll do it, but to want to do his will. My friends, he's worthy of it. You know he is, and it is the road of life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you in your greatness that you would choose any of us all of us unworthy of your grace. All of us unworthy of your compassion. Certainly, most certainly unworthy of the death of your son. And yet out of your great love for us, which is incomprehensible. He's died for our sin. He rose from the dead that we might be saved from the penalty of sin, that we might be saved from the very power of sin in one day, even saved from the very presence of sin. Oh God, your mercy is great and your grace is amazing. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.